Hi, everyone. This is Sean Dubervac from Avrio Institute. And I'm Ross Rubin at Reticle Research. Welcome to another week of Techspansive, where we dive into the latest happenings in the tech universe. Ross, this week we saw Samsung make a number of announcements. Why don't we dive right in with some of those announcements from your perspective? Uh, sure, Sean. I thought one of the interesting things off the bat is that if you look at a number of the big developer events, big fall events that we've seen from many of the companies we've talked about in the last few weeks, Samsung sells more devices than any of them. And yet at this conference, right before the holiday season, there really wasn't a major imminent device announcement. They talked about the Galaxy Home Speaker, but that's something that they had rolled out uh, a little earlier this year. And a few things that I thought were relatively significant were the changes they're making to Bixby. This work on a user interface layer that they're calling One UI that's going to rest on top of Android. And the big news that everyone was waiting for sort of <laughs> the release of a foldable phone. They talked quite a bit about the underlying technology and how what they needed to do to bring this to market. And they showed a prototype of the device that had two screens. One was an external uh, screen that looked somewhat like uh, today's slab smartphones, maybe maybe a bit narrower. And then you open it up and there's a seamless display of maybe about seven inches diagonally, maybe, maybe a bit longer. So, uh, of course, one of the advantages is increased real estate. Uh, but if we could start with, with that announcement, I was more excited about the potential of this before I actually saw the prototype. And now I'm kind of wondering what is the benefit, you know, of course, larger size, but what is this really going to do in terms of bringing new apps or, or encouraging the usage of more apps? Because things like maps and games and videos that can benefit from a larger display, we've had those on tablets for years, and it really hasn't been so compelling that people have embraced tablets with uh, cellular connections. And, um, and, and on the other hand, are, uh, is the extra screen real estate you're going to get worth what is surely going to be a, a big price premium? Uh, and the inconvenience in some instances of having to open this thing and deal with uh, holding it potentially in one hand, which could be a, a bit unwieldy. So uh, did you get to have a look at, uh, at at the prototype? Did you what what were your first impressions of it? I love this area of innovation generally. I like to see us push the limits. I know that the first inning of this will never be good. It never is good. Um, and it ultimately never really speaks to the use case scenarios that will emerge. And I think we just have to keep that in mind, that it's really not until the seventh or eighth inning where we really start to see the technology improve to the point where people are adopting it and it's changing the way they do things. It's changing their, their work process. So 
it feels a little thick to me uh, right now, but that's what I would expect with a brand new category of of devices. And so I think what we'll see over time is that technology should get thinner. And also, I think we'll see an entirely new series of use case scenarios emerge. And the ability to to be flexible is is very interesting. I, I like the idea of that roadmap. And I was thinking maybe further down the line, a few years down the line, something that seems a bit more exciting to me is the idea of a trifold device where it would fold up to something around the size of today's smartphones. But if you are able to, you know, bring it to 3x the length, now you're really talking about something that is practically the display size of, of an iPad. Um, and I think that opens a lot more opportunities, particularly if you can solve the uh, the input challenge, which is always a challenge. But the idea to me is that six-inch phones have been a huge success. And then there are laptops, which is another very successful category that start at around 10 inches. So I, I think you need something that can basically bridge those two devices. If you get into seven or eight inches, that just seems a little less compelling to me out of the gate. And, you know, you're absolutely right that it, it, it's going to take some time for the processes to get down to the point where uh, they can make a device, a folding device that big uh, that doesn't recreate the pocket problem, but but with, you know, a, a thick, a thick uh, profile instead of just kind of a wide one. And it's got to be durable as well. One of the things that happens is when you fold up this device, you then expose the entire length of the device uh, in in the folded state. It exposes the screen. And so when you think about the durability of the device, certainly I think about how often I drop my phone. Uh, sure. I would probably smash this very quickly. I, I think the other big thing is you've got a lot of other competing forces trying to change the UI experience for what I'll call portable computing. So you've got, which we've talked about, a push towards augmented reality and overlaying that in glasses. You've got a push towards um, what might happen from Apple if they can start to get enough computing in, into a watch-like device. Can they then push the interface to something like augmented reality built into glasses? And so the big question to me for a foldable display is, does it get there soon enough? Does it get there quick enough? Or have we already started to move towards augmented reality? So I, I think, you know, you mentioned the interface. One of the ways that they ramped up to the showing of the foldable display is by communicating that they seem to have thought a bit about this issue and how interfaces need to adapt to screens that, for example, change resolutions on the fly uh, within the same app, uh, which is something that the foldable phone can do. I, I think that's an interesting capability. And so they talked about this new user interface layer they've been developing called One UI. And if you think back uh, about how Samsung has worked on the Android platform, for many years they put a very heavy lamination on top of Android, and there was some backlash against that. 
uh, and there were a lot of things that <laughs> were of questionable utility. And so over the past few phone releases, they have become more and more restrained in terms of putting their own user interface layer on top. And now it seems to me that they've realized that that hasn't really paid off a lot for them in terms of brand equity and, and loyalty and lock-in. So they're trotting this thing out, and it seems centered around the idea that everything that you need to see is on the top of the display, and all of your controls are on the bottom of the display and or toward you know the bottom half of the display. And so that's a reaction you know, to growing phone screen sizes and the idea that you want your thumb to have easy reach to the keyboard and the buttons and, and other things. But by the same token, if you take a look at the interface, it's called a one, one UI. And they're beta testing this. I mean, to their credit, they're getting a lot of community feedback on this. It really seems to have a tremendous amount of wasted space. You're, you're buying a phone because you want to take advantage of the screen real estate. And it just seemed like there were large swaths of empty, <laughs> empty space with big type <laughs> uh, because there wasn't a lot happening uh, in what whatever particular app was, was going on there. So... Well, do we see that? that do we see Go that ahead. as part of the of the approach, though? Do you want to create a minimalistic approach? And you think back to the origins of Google when they launched the original search bar. Uh, that was a clear deviation from what we were seeing from companies like Yahoo and others. It was nothing but a, a search bar across the the browser page. Right. So there was a tremendous amount of white space. Um, is this the same approach to create a more minimalistic approach to that UI I, experience? I, I don't think so. I, you know, I, I think sure there's something to be said about keeping things clear, uh, clean, and 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 minimalist. But it, with Google, the decision was a revenue decision, or you know, certainly in those early days, uh, they didn't really have much of a, a revenue mandate, but it was a a reaction to sites like Yahoo and, and Lycos that were trying to maximize every ad, you know, bit of advertising space and link you to all of their attendance services. You know, you, you have to think back quite a ways, but you know, just like today, Google has Maps and Groups and you know, all these different applications. Yahoo had all that stuff many years ago, and so uh, and Mail. You know, so so they wanted to to keep you uh, in that ecosystem, and and the group, what Google did was really a statement about search. You know, we're not we're not here to capture you. Uh, we're here to get you to whatever resource you really want as expediently as possible, and that you know, and because they did it so well, that's what that's what helped build the brand loyalty. On this, on the phone, I, I don't think there's that kind of mandate. I mean, sure, nobody wants you know things cluttered up uh, and and hard to read, but uh, it just didn't seem very effective to me. I, I think I've seen. Lots of interfaces that are, are clean and well-spaced, but just take much better use of, of the available screen real estate. But, you know, maybe there's some way to adapt this so that it makes more sense in a, in a world with, with folding screens. We'll have to see.
Going back to your comment about no new devices, one of the things you've seen from Samsung in recent years is a release of their devices in the early months of the calendar year. They might start to tease them out at CES, typically launching them at Mobile World Congress. Do you think that has impacted their ability to release a device in the, the holiday season? Are they just not thinking about the U.S. holiday season like other devices are we saw devices this year from palm we saw of course the apple lineup Uh, is it just that they're not thinking about the u.s holiday season in the the same way or can they not break from the design cycle that they're in i i mean i think they are thinking about the holiday season uh if, if not very much if not as ardently in the in the mobile group certainly in other parts of the of the company are Samsung uh, Electronics, the sister company that does uh, TVs, which, which you know, as you know, are a pretty big holiday category, and and they're not completely shut out of the cycle. The Galaxy Note Nine and the first hints of uh, of this home speaker were. Uh, we're, we're shown, I, I think, in, in late August, uh, maybe, maybe a couple of weeks before Apple uh, showed off the uh, the new iPhones. So, in some ways, they they headlined the fall season of announcements. They just got out very early, and so now that they're cleaning up kind of the end of it, uh, I guess they have no no real juice left in in terms of announcements. So. Yeah, nothing. Nothing at this announcement, which, which again is is more of a developer event, um, and and that's that's I guess the thing that's weird because the other uh, a lot of the other major companies have their developer events in the summer, uh, Microsoft, Google, and and Apple, and so Sam's you know this was the Samsung Developer Conference, uh, and uh, and we're seeing it in November, so that that may be why things. Uh, seem to, to be in an odd time sequence uh, through the year. But as a developer conference for Samsung, I, I thought it was pretty strong. I I was impressed with uh, some of the things they're doing with Bixby, which uh, of course is a, a very long shot. We've been talking a lot about agents uh, o- over the past month or so. And uh, they're, they're the, the, a representative from Vive Labs, which was this AI company that they acquired, I think maybe uh, two years ago or a year and a half ago, uh, came out and had some uh, challenging talk about how they were doing things in developer tools that nobody else was doing, that they were miles ahead of everyone, that they were going to open up Bixby and allow people to build their own applications on it, that the developer environment was going to get around the issue of having to hard code every conceivable response to any kind of query by leveraging AI itself. So you, the way it looks is pretty neat. You, you put in a, a query and you identify, you know, this is kind of a location, this is a, a person, or this is a different kind of resource. And it, it creates kind of a narrative of all the different combinations of ways that the thing could be asked and synonyms and 
they uh, positioned it as a a coming together of what humans do best and what AIs do best uh, in a, in a developer environment. So. Uh, it's a, it's a neat promise, you know. Uh, again, we'll see if it if that and uh, and their and and their moving up uh, aggressiveness in in getting Bixby into more devices helps <laughs> Bixby at all. But uh, it shows that they are certainly doubling down on this uh, after they were forced to retreat a bit and uh, and remove the mandatory Bixby functionality from their phones. Uh, which is, uh, uh, of course, their their leading market play. They're in a difficult position. They've got this relationship with Android, which works right now for them. But there's a weird dynamic where Google at times is producing high-end Android devices, look a lot like competitors to their Android partners. And they tend to move in and out of that space at, at different times over the years. Right now, they've got a pretty good product in that space. And so I'm sure that the feeling within Samsung is we really need to develop our own homegrown environment. And they would love to. I mean, who who wouldn't? Everybody wants to own the entire value stack. They want to own the software. They want to own the voice agent. They want to own the hardware. They can control the, the entire value chain. And so I think there's this constant pressure to drive Bigsby uptake and really differentiate Samsung devices across the entire experience, not just from a hardware perspective, but across every element of the experience. I was surprised that the foldable prototype ran Android. I would have thought that Mm -hmm. they'd really use that as an opportunity to push harder into their own full stack of, of value their entire samsung experience so that right. surprised me a little bit and we also saw google at the same time coming out in in full support of of what they're calling a foldables category and how to think about a foldables category which makes me think they're probably talking to a lot of their partners samsung's early out of the gate naturally because they control so much value in the display area but my guess is lg is and others are going to be right behind them and so they're starting to to tell the the value proposition of how to drive foldable displays that run Android. Yeah, that's a a great point, Sean. Actually, a, a couple of great points. And uh, I, I think that you know the and, and that's perhaps why I came away more impressed by the work they're doing in Bixby, for better or worse, than the foldable display because. Uh, yes, of course, LG has been a, a strong display rival, you know, strong rival in, in many areas, but certainly a strong display rival uh, to them for many years. And uh, and Huawei has talked about how they're going to do a foldable phone, and Microsoft has uh, it's been you know strongly rumored that they are going to get back into the mobiles market with a with a, with a foldable display. Uh, in fact, they've even shown off that that concept in some uh, some concept videos of theirs. And now we can see we're getting close. And you know, why does it run Android? Because it has to. You know, they they want people to buy it. <laughs> uh, and so 
you know, if they, if they could get away from Android, they would, but they can't. And, and that's why in many ways, Bixby is much more of their escape route, you know, their, their best chance to bridge um, their Android phones with their Tizen devices, their own operating system, with perhaps devices that don't have any kind of screen user interface uh, and uh, and make that the primary um, you know, primary mode of interaction. And in, in speaking with Samsung a few times over the years, they've had some interesting, you know, they've shared some interesting uh, philosophies. One is their goal that Bixby should be able to do everything you can do with a screen and touch on the phone. Well, that's that's pretty ambitious and. Why would you want that? Because then the underlying operating system becomes practically irrelevant uh, apart from you know how many apps you can get on there. And uh, they've also said that they want uh, their smartwatches, which are, are based on Tizen, to also one day be capable of completely replacing the phone. Now, maybe a couple of companies feel that way that, that are in this space, but it's never something you hear, for example, Apple talk about. You know, for now, they're certainly building more independence into the watch, and they're they're certainly increasing its capabilities. But they've never come out. You know, of course, they they wouldn't uh, for a couple of reasons. But it, it just doesn't seem, at least at this point, that they're explicitly looking for the watch to replace the phone any more than they're looking for the phone to replace the iPad. Uh, we can make an argument, you know, maybe a stronger argument that the iPad may one day replace the Mac, but but for the most part, it, it's not this idea of the smaller fish that are being turned into uh, predators. What, what what do you? I mean, you you we've talked quite a bit about the phones. Uh, I'm sorry, the smartwatches, and it seems that in in many ways they've really come down to these health products and uh, and and these horizontal notification things do, do you do you see that kind of path for them do you think voice agents could get us there I think voice agents could get us there I would also argue that eventually we could imagine smartwatches that are further removed from the phone think back mm. to the original, MP3 players. They were devices that were extremely tied to the computer experience. The same was true with early PDAs. Even PDAs that were cellularly connected were still very tied to syncing with the computer. I, I would argue that the phone has moved further away from the computer. We used to back it up. We used to sync it a sure. lot more. Now we do all of that over Wi-Fi. And so you, you're less beholden to that relationship and the same i think could easily happen when it comes to the mobile phone and the, the smart watch or wearables generally especially if you start to add in new, new user interfaces like augmented reality where you don't need a bigger screen to accomplish things mm -hmm. in a easier way i think what we're likely to see is sure many of those tasks will migrate to smaller form factors but 
<clears throat> what will also happen, as we saw with the PC and the phone, is that the nature of the kinds of things we're looking to accomplish will change as uh, this device shift takes place as well. So, you know, in the PC era, nobody, in the heyday of the PC, nobody really cared about taking your own photo and distributing it around the world, uh, aka Instagram. And that, you know, of course, has become a killer uh, application for the phone. Um, when you blend together these, these smaller, more constrained displays or no displays, far more emboldened voice agents like, like the kind that, you know, Samsung is hinting at and the, the other guys are certainly working on. Uh, and this idea that there's far more intelligence in the back end to do things for us rather than help us to, to do things ourselves uh, and, you know, to increase to, to actually do the task instead of enhancing our productivity toward the task, that's how I could see a path toward it, uh, toward, toward the replacement happening. But it just seems to me to be a, a much bigger shift than putting uh, a cellular connection. Um, but it does seem to be an alignment of, of many of these big trends that are coming into the marketplace. Well, and also remember that Samsung has a growing business in appliances, both in the kitchen and in other rooms like laundry. And so having a voice agent that interacts across that's, that's those suite of experiences uh, is, I think, an Im important potential that they're definitely considering. Uh, they definitely talk about connected lifestyle and a, a connected experience across these myriad of, of different activities that we're doing. And so I think they could imagine Bixby being a glue that ties all of those pieces together, whether it's your washing machine, your dryer, your kitchen uh, appliances or, or other things. And so I think there's a storyline there that starts to emerge over time as you think about what UI pulls these together, especially these legacy devices like a refrigerator that doesn't historically have a screen on it. Now, a lot of the new ones you see are, do have displays, but... Right, but course, especially from Samsung. <laughs> yes, especially from Samsung and LG. and, and uh, But you could imagine the voice agent becomes a piece of that. And I would argue that the flood of information we are going to see over the next five years really creates an environment where voice agents could be a preferred user inter interface. For example, I was talking with MasterCard over the last week. Ten years ago, even two years ago, they were only producing a couple hundred forecasts off of their underlying data series, mm -hmm. which is purchases being made around the country in retailers. Now, as they start to drive in machine learning, other forms of artificial intelligence, they're driving thousands of forecasts a day, pulling in wide swaths of information. So you could imagine that if you're trying to retrieve that information, if you want a daily digest of some of the key points of that information, a voice experience could be a preferable experience. So you might say in the future, hey, give me this information from MasterCard for this zip code or this state or what does it look like last week because of the hurricane? And you could start to uh, digest that information in real time. 
I think that's a really compelling application for, for voice agents. So on the consumer front, we, we talk mostly about smart home, and that's because it's mostly been a consumer product thus far. Most people mm-hmm. aren't putting Alexa or Google Home in their, in their office, their work office. In fact, this, the statistics I've seen suggest that only about 2 or 3% of people have one in their office outside of their home. And you can imagine that moving forward, we could see a lot of enterprise applications. Well, I, w- I would say that that <clears throat> number, I, I don't dispute it in terms of standalone speakers, but virtually anyone who works with a, a modern laptop has a, a voice agent at the ready, and that's Cortana and uh, Microsoft's agent, which, of course, Microsoft is going to be pushing toward more kinds of workflow and collaboration types of tasks, uh, which I think is, I agree with you, it's kind of a hole in the market because everyone else has been so so consumer focused. But I also think, you know, tying it back to Samsung a bit, that they have good cause to be inspired by what Amazon has done with Alexa, where Amazon did not have a mobile phone presence. Uh, and because of this, they were able to get back in the game. You know, they were able to create a developer community around this. And yes, it's early, but, you know, Samsung, uh, as you mentioned, they have a lot of technology in the home. They have TV, which they also talked about a bit at the developer conference and some of the things they're doing with Bixby in the television space. And of course, have uh, you know one of the the strongest, uh, arguably, mobile phone business in terms of a, a mix of of volume and and profit, <clears throat> uh, you know, at, at least outside uh, China. So uh, on one hand, yes, if you look at them versus uh, the Google Assistant, you know, because probably nobody has as much data about people in general as as Google. Of, of those players, yeah, it's it's going to be a tough battle, and it's another case of Samsung replicating functionality that's an Android, and you can say that's a Samsung problem, or you could say it's an Android problem. Uh, in either case, I think it ultimately becomes a consumer problem because it creates a lot of confusion. But, um, but beyond that, I think they have, uh, maybe maybe their chances are, uh, have been underestimated a little bit. You know, they 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 do have a, a lot of the pieces in place, and if they can figure out a way to drive adoption without it being too intrusive, uh, and find ways to leverage it in places that the other agents have not, you know, perhaps through integration with some of these devices uh, you mentioned, then. You know, maybe maybe they can build something there. Maybe it's it's not enough to let them leave behind Android for the foreseeable future, but uh, it, at least something to to keep them in the game until the next uh, major major behavior shift. Yeah, and I think you alluded to the idea that some really killer applications, some really streamlined experiences could really change the game. Amazon arguably has enough strength that they could revisit the idea of getting into the smartphone space. I'm sure they're thinking about it, and I wouldn't be surprised to see something from them over the next 24 months. And if oh yeah, um, I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, you know, I have been f- 
frankly, a bit surprised that they haven't come out with some kind of, you know, Star Trek-like communicator wearable already, you know, some some wearable thing that <clears throat> perhaps is aimed at, at runners or, you know, other exercise enthusiasts where you can bark off commands without necessarily having to wear a watch or, um, you know, or, or carry a phone with you. There, there was a company that uh, tried that with a, a Kickstarter campaign. Unfortunately, they they didn't make it. But I I thought it was uh, in their short history um, one of one of the far more interesting products that that they had uh, that they had attempted. So, well, I think there's still a drive to have this you know connected experience that ties back to screens where purchases can be made or content can be consumed because those are obviously big areas of of push but having a mobile phone that has a lot of a lot of photos on it drives demand for AWS which is really becoming <laughs> increasingly the bread and butter of that company so they uh, they find a way to win even if uh, it looks like they're not winning <laughs> yes all right well um, I guess that that seems like a, a good place to leave it for for this week we uh, uh, talked a, a lot about the various things that Samsung introduced, and uh, uh, somehow, you know, it <clears throat> got back to Amazon as as it often does. But uh, but I'm okay with that for this week. Perfect. Thanks everybody for joining us for this week's episode of Techspansive. Again, I'm Sean Dubrovac with Avrio Institute. You can find me at Sean Dubrovac on Twitter. And I'm Ross Rubin. You can find me on Twitter at Ross Rubin. Join us next week for our next episode of Techspansive.